Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 50. We're back in the Gospel of Luke this morning. As we transition, let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. And this morning we ask that it would be uh, this lamp uh, to light our path in this dark world, uh, Lord, that even as, as Lee read this morning, that uh, your word tells us that, that pure religion, uh, what does it mean to actually walk in the Jesus way? Um, it, it demands some things of us that we're uncomfortable with, and it also means seeking to be unstained by this world. And Lord, we come in this morning um, stained. Um, stained by the world that we've lived in, the thoughts that we've had, um, the things that we've done. So Lord, this morning we ask that you would call us back to the gospel message. Uh, may we see Jesus once again as he truly is, as King of Kings, as great. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. You know, it's, it's been said that the human soul wasn't made for fame, right? Because uh, we, we were made to revel in the fame of God, right? To make his name great. And yet, because of the fall, you know, we just can't help ourselves. Uh, we find ourselves surrounded by a culture where everybody and their dog wants to go viral, right? Um, yesterday, uh, Sophie was making a video trying to put on YouTube to go viral. Uh, everybody, everybody wants to be great. And, and I mean, even, you know, the immediate context of Jesus's ministry shows us how immense the souring call to, to fame is. You know, Mark mentions that what we're about to read, it, it wasn't after a huge win. Like, it, this isn't something that you celebrate. It was actually after a defeat, the disciples failed to cast out a demon. And the next thing you know, very next thing, they've just failed. Next thing you know, they're, they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Uh, that would be akin to our, uh, about to throw our church softball team under the bus. Our, our church softball team, uh, being the first team out of the playoffs, which I think we were this year. Um, but then after receiving the beatdown, which we did receive, uh, instead of going home, we just stay in the dugout arguing over which one of us is going to win the league MVP, right? And, and it, if we did that, every one of you would say, okay, like, you, you do realize that, like, y'all didn't even, like, make it past the first round. Like, you do realize that y'all are not heroes. Like, y'all are like zeros, and not only is the MVP talk inappropriate, but it's bordering on insanity at this point, okay? All right, well, well that, that happened uh, with the disciples. But then to add to that, Jesus used this occasion to once again let his disciples know that he was on his way to die. Like, you know, what do you, what do, you do when someone tells you that they're about to die? I mean, that's pretty... That's a pretty grave, pretty serious, sobering moment, right? Well, do you know what the disciples did after Jesus said that he was on his way to die? 
they started arguing over which one of them was the greatest. Uh, Jesus wasn't even dead yet, and they're already arguing over the will. You know, they're, they're, they're arguing over who's going to be the lead dog once Jesus gets out of here. Um, not only is it inappropriate, but it's, just, it's bordering on insanity, right? And yet, it would be very easy for us to, you know, to wag our fingers at the disciples if that was not also the tendency of our hearts, um, and to long for greatness, to long for what has been called vain glory. Um, did you know that this, that this occasion is recorded in almost every single gospel account, which means as you read through the Bible, as you're reading through it, you, you get to hear Jesus' teaching on this again and again and one more time so that we all can hear it. You know, people say pay close attention to what teachers repeat, right? And so I don't know about y'all, but I know I need to hear this over and over and over again because it's here that we find how Jesus defines true greatness, not as our world defines it, but as God defines it. So with that, uh, let's dive into our passage. Um, This is God's Word, Luke chapter 9. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, Jesus took a child and he put him by his side. And Jesus said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Well, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. This is God's Word. Uh, Some of y'all may remember a few years ago we did that series on the seven deadly sins one summer. And in that series we found, if you remember, that there was one particular sin that was particularly deadly. Uh, C.S. Lewis even called it the great sin. Um, It's the sin that we can so obviously see in everyone else, but we fail to miss it in ourselves. It's the sin of pride, right? Pride. Um, The sin of pride is that that, that we or our group is better, prettier, smarter, uh, more theologier, you know, wealthier, that we're greater than other people. And so if we really took an inventory of our, our sin life, we would find that much, not all, but much of our sin in our lives is an outworking of that great sin of pride. And yet this morning, Jesus is calling in housekeeping, so to speak, by teaching that true greatness is the antithesis of pride. And so in recalibrating our souls as his followers, he, he makes us aware of two, two areas in these passage, this passage in which pride can often cause us to veer off, off the path. First, we, we see that sometimes pride uh, causes us to think too big, to think you know, too much of ourselves. You know, that we typically think of that with pride. Uh, but then second, we see that sometimes pride can also do the other. Pride can also cause us to think too small. It's where it makes us think too much of ourselves and too little of God. So let's, let's talk about that this morning. First, sometimes pride causes us to think too much of ourselves. Um, you, you know, the fact that the disciples were even asking this question is evidence that they were being influenced by their culture more than they were being influenced by Jesus. 
Uh, because the, the question of, of who's better, who's greater, was constantly being asked, uh, constantly coming up. It was very common for rabbis during that time to teach in their sermons about you know, seating positions and where you sit in the synagogue is very important to kind of where you rank. Uh, even your, where you're going to uh, sit in heaven. You know, it's very, very important to them, always coming up. Who ranks higher? Who's better? And so you know, we can't always understand the disciples, but we can definitely understand this, right? Because we, too, live in a culture obsessed with greatness, you know, that, that goes about life as if this passage like, isn't even a thing. And, and look, not all of these things are, are bad, obviously, but just to kind of gauge the temperature of our, our culture, you know, some of our first memories are of you know, preschool. And I don't know if it's anything like mine, but you know, racing to see who fills their star chart out the fastest, right? Uh, and maybe it's who makes the best grades or who makes all-stars or who has, in our kids' you know, day, like who has the best Pokemon card collection, those little gold cards, right? Uh, even, even from childhood, we see as kids that there are, is a clear line between the haves and the have-nots. We, we clearly see that there is a cream of the crop that, that rises up. And so parents, you know, we will spend boo-coodles of money, right, private lessons and tutors, so that our children can rise up to be the cream of the crop. And, and our craving for greatness today, I mean, it knows no bounds, uh, y'all may remember in 2001, you know, Jim Collins released that seminal book, Good to Great. And it was a you know, business leadership book. Um, and the argument was, look, don't settle for being a good company, but be a great company. And here's, how, here's some things you can do to be great. And that book introduced greatness to a new generation, right? It's, um, and there are proposed metrics today to achieve greatness in every area of life, even in churches now for a long, or the last couple decades, for, you know, church greatness has been measured in what's been called nickels, noses, and uh, noise. It's if, if you are a church that has a big budget, big attendance, big programs, then you are great. Okay. Um, the disciples, just like us, were well aware of how greatness worked in their culture. That you became great by doing something great. Okay, but what if... Just what if the greatness we spend our lives pursuing here and the greatness we spend our lives pushing our kids to pursue here, could it be that that's actually taking them further and further away from what true greatness actually looks like? Um, what, if, what if our definition of success here is ultimately the definition of tragedy in heaven? What if, right? So what happens when Jesus turns greatness upside down? Because you know he's going to do it. Jesus comes in on their Tony Robbins seminar and says, y'all want to know about true greatness? Well, truly great people don't hire publicists to tell people how great they are. Okay? No, he says the first trait of greatness is humility. You know, when Jesus took that, that child and he you know, put it by his side to use as an object lesson on greatness, you, you know that the disciples' jaws would have hit the floor. You know, talk about upside, talk about deconstructing the concept of greatness. Because in Jesus' day, children were about as unimportant as you could be. I mean, they, were, they occupied a lowly place in society. The, the, the Aramaic word for children or for child literally meant servant. 
That, I mean, that's what they thought of kids. They're just, they're just servants. Um, children were needy and lowly. Okay. All right, well, in Matthew's accounting, a recording of this, Matthew mentions that Jesus, in teaching, he also said, look, unless you become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It, that is, unless you are aware of your utter helplessness to save yourself, if you're not aware that you, that you stand before God as a needy child, then, then you're puffed up with pride and you don't see life as it really is. You know, several years ago, uh, Ligonier Ministries, and they do this occasionally, they, they surveyed uh, evangelicals all across America and they, they published their findings in what they called the, the State of Theology Survey. And, and I, I think we've talked about some of this, but, but here's some of the things that they found Back, back then, this is just a few years ago, and it's likely worse now. But then, 52% of evangelical Christians, okay, like, like not liberal Christians or progressive Christians or even mainline church Christians, but 52% of we believe that Jesus is the only way and we believe that God's Word is authoritative Christians, 52%, over you know, more than the majority, or, or the majority, they believe that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Okay. 52% of evangelicals. Which means most evangelical Christians approach God saying something like, like, God, I'm good for like 98% of the way. I just need your help to kind of get over the hump of the last 2%. Like, God, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly good, but I just need a little bit of your help. Um, you know, that's so discouraging. <laughs> Because that, that is not the testimony of a follower of Christ. It's it, you know, people who say, now I'm weak, but I'm not like little child weak. I've got some good things going on too. Now, you know, someone who is, who is in Christ is someone who realizes that they have no goodness, no righteousness of their own, and they're okay saying that. That, that we have never done a good work that merits us favor with God. That, that all claims of self-sufficiency are a joke, and in ourselves we stand helpless without God and without hope in this world, in ourselves. And if, if we don't see ourselves as the biggest sinner we know, then we are clueless to the state of our soul, and we are puffed up with pride, and, and like, if we don't, we will never see our Savior as beautiful. And so, you know, Jesus here in this past, I mean, he is form-tackling the American church, because we have so much today don't we? We have so much noise and so much distraction. And, you know, if we're not careful, that little, you know, the black mirror that we carry around in our pockets, like, it'll distract us all day and all night. And we'll never have any concept of the true nature of our soul, the true need of our soul. That we don't think Jesus is all we need because we have all this other stuff. And so there's a reason why Christianity is shrinking in America while it's exploding in you know, South America and Africa and Asia. It's because we, we can be so blind to our helplessness that we are children who need our Father. And one pastor of a, a big, like historic, long-storied reputation church, um, he said that he was concerned because everyone in his church was in the club. Everybody at that church was wealthy. They all drove really nice cars. Everyone's kids went to those expensive summer camps. And yet, he said at the same time, no one in my church becomes a Christian unless they go through a divorce, they get cancer, 
unless their kids become drug addicted or they go bankrupt. He said, those are the only people I have seen become converted here. Those may be the only Christians in our whole church. You know, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the wealthy, the rich, to inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's not saying that you can't. It's just saying that all that money buys a lot of distraction. I mean, think of the gospel. You know, we found several weeks ago, the previous passage, the transfiguration, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And so if anyone has the right to look down on someone else, it's him. And yet, what do we see Jesus doing? The king of kings came to earth and he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Uh, This is the king who came to serve his subjects. And do you know that to seek and save the lost sheep, Jesus became a sheep himself, the Lamb of God, who on the cross died to take away our sins, right? And so, that, that, like, whatever goodness or greatness we possess as a result of that is simply because of his greatness in us, his goodness to us. Speaking of humbling, I was telling Annie this yesterday. It's like some of y'all know that a few years ago I decided to kind of take on a little like a passion project and, and release at least one musical project per year. That's kind of like a little goal for me. And it, it, makes, it makes no money. Uh, I am uh, in zero risk of becoming a professional musician. It is just purely a creative outlet for me. But, but then, this, a few months ago, I got an email from Spotify. Um, and um, it's Spotify, if you don't know, it's, it's like a, it's a streaming platform, a music platform. Uh, I got an email from Spotify sort of congratulating me because their algorithm had detected that my stream count, the, the number of people listening to the music, was growing. And so I said, oh, I got to see this. And so I logged into Spotify only to find out that my two most popular songs, like by like a long shot, um, and thus the reason I even got the email from Spotify, um, aren't even my songs. Like, they're not, like, I did nothing. Like, did not write them, did not sing them, nothing. Um, apparently, there's another musician in the world named Richard Owens, if you can imagine that, right? And uh, Spotify, just for whatever reason, just thought we were the same people. And uh, though in and of myself, I'm far from great. According to Spotify's algorithm, because of the work of the other Richard, I'm on the up and up. This is great, right? Spotify gave me all the credit for what a professional musician did, okay? And and now, look, after seeing that, I'd have to be delusional to respond to that with pride. Well, pretty good. Because, you know, what did Shaggy say? Like, it wasn't me, right? It, It was not me. Okay, that's what it's like to be a Christian. Is that like, whoa, it was not me. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's the gospel message. That the greatest thing about us is work that we did not do. Uh, you know, if Paul, you know, Paul says that if there's anything to brag about, it is Jesus' work in our lives, saving wretches like me and like, like you. And, and knowing that keeps us grounded, doesn't it? Okay, but... but then not only is greatness becoming like a child in our awareness of God's, or of our need of God's grace, it's also responding to God's grace by receiving and welcoming the lowly. You know, Jesus mentions, hey, receive this, this child. You know, it's easy to want to hang out with people who can do something for us, right? Um, 
But true greatness is serving people who can't do anything for you. (laughs) What could we possibly do for Jesus, right? And so Jesus calls us to follow him in welcoming those we would never think to welcome, to show them that they are important, that they are in our world. And a true greatness is awareness of the marginalized and the lowly and inviting them in and love them simply because you have been loved by God. And so, like, really, how many families and how many churches, um, how many businesses are starved from, from this type of servant leadership? So that's what greatness looks like to Jesus right there. But then, you know, in other places in the Bible, we also find that, you know, God calls all of his people children. They were all called children, which means a, a, true gra- a, tr- a trait of true greatness isn't only hum- humility, and it's not just inclusivity, um, but it's also gospel hospitality. It's intentionally receiving and intentionally welcoming and walking with brothers and sisters in Christ and in a world that says you are the most important thing. As we've said many times, it's, it's stopping and being so countercultural to one another, one another. You know, uh, y'all may remember this from a few years ago. Uh, World Magazine gave their highest honor, what they call the, the Daniel of the Year Award, uh, to uh, Andrew Brunson. It's, it's an award bestowed upon people uh, for uh, bravery uh, in defending God's authority, God's Word. Well, as y'all remember, or may remember, Andrew was a, a Presbyterian minister in Turkey, uh, a missionary, and he was imprisoned for doing verse 48. Uh, in, in the middle of the Syrian refugee crisis, he and his little church of about 40 people in Turkey, they started welcoming and serving the, the needy. They started serving some of the refugees, which led to trumped-up charges of him sympathizing with enemies of the state. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned. But what was worse was he was separated from his family, his wife. He was separated from all Christian fellowship. And he said, if I'd been let out after that first year... He said, I'd be lying on the floor, curled in a fetal position with PTSD. But he said, the second year of my imprisonment, God started to rebuild me. And he, he mentioned that his food became Matthew five eleven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, finally, after two years, his wife was, was granted regular visits, and he said they would, just, they would just pray together. And then at his trials, though there are very few Protestant pastors in Turkey, I mean, Turkey, heavily uh, Muslim country, though there are very few Protestant pastors in Turkey, like, they all showed up to his trial. I mean, they cleared their calendar, and they, they went uh, to their brother's trial. And then his home pastor in North Carolina um, like just just took off and he flew over to turkey to the trial so that andrew would know that he was not alone Um, that his brothers um were receiving him they were welcoming him giving him gospel hospitality even in that hostile place that's what jesus is talking about you know true greatness is responding to god's divine hospitality to you In Jesus, by making time in your calendar to pass along that same hospitality to to others. 
You know, the greatest thing you ever do may not be something that you do, but it may just be being available to someone else in need. You know, I, I bet we could go around this room and talk about times where someone stepped in when we were needy, you know, and it's like just their availability. It's one of the most meaningful things you've ever experienced. So pride, it causes us to think too much of ourselves, and the gospel brings, it brings just humbling clarity. And the greatest people in the kingdom are probably people we've never heard of. They probably don't preach in the biggest pulpits. They're, they're people who have just, they've been saved by Jesus, and then they just respond by following him. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I've used this illustration maybe three or four times, but it's so good. C.S. Uh, Lewis illustrated this beautifully in his book, The Great Divorce. Of course, it's a book about this man who lives in hell, but he got to take a day trip up to heaven. And while he was there, um, he, he saw this woman who had this huge entourage. It was like Beyonce has come to town. And everywhere this lady walked, she was surrounded by dancing lights and people were throwing flowers in the air and, it was, and singing. It was this huge, huge thing. And, and the man, it was, it was so special that the man from hell just knew this person had to be some celebrity. I mean, somebody great from earth. And here's the dialogue the man from hell had with his heavenly tour guide. He says, is, is, is she? Is she? I whispered to my guide. Not at all, said he. It's someone you'll never have heard of. On earth, she was a lowly woman. Her name was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. Well, she seems to be a person of particular importance. Aye, she is one of the great ones. You have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. Well, as Christians, you know, it's easy, it's so easy to think too much of ourselves, and Jesus calls us to just remember the gospel, calls us to humble repentance. And then second, and as we close, we can also think too little, right? We, we can, in pride, we can think too small about what God is doing in this world. It's easy for us to fall into tribalism, especially in the church, right? It's that, that us versus them mentality. It's like the Calvinists versus the Arminians, right? And it's those who, those who dump people and those who who sprinkle and pour um, in baptism. It's those who have big pipe organs and just you know, rattle the, uh, the rafters versus those who allow drums in the sanctuary and they pierce everybody's eardrums. Right? Um, you know, there's this unspoken competition that, that happens with churches and especially churches in the same town who are really trying to serve the same people. Um, and so it's tempting to think that we got it right and, and they over there got it wrong. And, you know, we have strenuous qualifications for our pastors and they'll over there, they'll ordain any Tom, Dick, or Harry, right? It, it, it's us versus them. We got it right. They got it wrong. You ever feel that, that way? Uh, well, I tell you, the apostle John felt it. And being a son of thunder, he voiced it, Right. Verse 49, John said, Master, he's talking to Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Apparently, this person, he hadn't been called the same way the disciples had been called. He wasn't given the privilege of sitting at Jesus' feet all the time, nor was he invited into the inner circle like John was. Contrary to the apostles, we don't even know this person's name. And yet he's out here, just he, he's out there ministering in Jesus' name. 
It, it says uh, what, what Count Zizendorf said. It's, uh, it's preach Christ, die, and be forgotten. Like, that's the goal of ministry. That's what this man is doing. And, and you know, the disciples could not stand it. <laughs> Because they thought exorcism was their exclusive. Like, that's what we do at our church. Like, that's our turf. And the disciples were the ones, like, they were the ones God was working through. Like, they were the ones. And yet, we find that in sinful pride, they were thinking way too small about the kingdom. Way too small, forgetting that God could actually work through someone other than them. Like, God can actually work through other denominations and churches. And so Jesus answered their pride with a, uh, he answered with a, a command and then a principle. He said, if someone is ministering in my name, don't stop them. Don't stop them. For the one, and here's the principle, for the one who is not against you, he's actually for you. In other words, open your eyes to see that we're not playing just for Team Westminster or Team PCA, though that is the context with which we minister but really, like, we're on Team Jesus, and his kingdom is on the move. And you know, when Paul was in prison, there were these complaints that came that all these rival preachers, they were all out there, maybe even in envy, they were preaching. And do you remember Paul's response? Because Paul, I mean, he shut down a lot of people, and he could have shut them down. But he didn't. He said, what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. Well, I can forget that um, because I can get in my little PCA world and I can almost malign other, other ministries. Um, and it's really just ministry pride. It's probably jealousy and envy that need to be repented of. And, and now, look, there are obviously times in, in our church where the elders in particular are called to slay dragons and they're called to run off wolves. But instead of circling the wagons, Jesus is saying this is a call to be open-hearted towards others who are actually doing gospel ministry in his name. And I'm, I'm not sure if you knew this, but there is this, or was, this kind of low-key competition with churches in town. Um, in fact, one year there was this one church in town that just for a little while they absorbed a couple of our members and for some of these, there was some kind of discussion back and forth over which is a better situation, better preacher, better way of baptism, all these different things, right? And so the, the pastor and I are friends, and, and, and many of y'all remember this, but to really, in efforts to kind of cut out this whole like Baptist versus Presby thing, um, to, to remind ourselves of Jesus' teaching here that, that, yes, look, we don't agree on everything, and there's a reason why there's denominations in different churches, and, and that can be a good thing. But though we don't agree on everything, we are on the same team where it counts. And, and so because of that, we decided to do a joint sermon series, if you remember, uh, us and First Baptist. Um, that we are fellow members of Team Jesus here in Greenwood. And, and so y'all, when it comes to pride and greatness... Whew, it's tempting to think too much of ourselves. Again, and Jesus calls us to humility to remember the gospel. But it's also tempting to think too small that we're the only ones God's doing anything in. And so instead, Jesus calls us to rejoice in what others are doing in his name. And so he says, as we follow him in that, Jesus says, that's where true greatness is found. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Let me pray for us. 
Uh, Father, as you continue to just put this into our souls, um, of what does it mean, uh, instead of wanting to be viral and to be the best, what does it mean to go low? And what does it mean to seek you humbly? What does it mean to welcome in the marginalized, the disenfranchised? What does it mean to give gospel hospitality just to other brothers and sisters? Um, Lord, show us, give us a new vision and a new definition of what does it mean to be great in life? Uh, Lord, fill us with your vision of greatness. And Lord, continue to remind us of the greatness that we have in Jesus. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.